Hi, good evening. It is our second podcast. Thank you so much for those of you who joined our first flagship podcast. We appreciate it. We appreciate the support. Please share. Um, we are X to the Zennial. I am Stella. I'm Kat. And we are going to talk about some things. Um, we set the intention of the podcast to come from a mental health perspective on topics that we talk about often, um, but certainly want to give our perspective from a professional point of view as well as from a personal point of view. Also, too, just like the sitting back, eating the popcorn, and observing the world, because that's like my station in life is I sit back and I'm watching all of this. So, so yeah, definitely utilizing topics that we're reading about, you're experiencing in your clinical practice. 100%. I'm viewing just out in the natural world and interactions with people. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what we're going to be doing. Today, we are going to talk about loneliness, depression, and friendship. Uh, certainly, that changes when you are older. Um, at 46, I have a very set group of friends. I don't look for new friends very often. Occasionally, I will make some, but that is rarely my goal. I think it was more my goal when I was younger and certainly in my 20s and 30s. Um, working by myself has changed how I do that uh, and definitely incorporated a lot more loneliness. So we're definitely going to dig into that tonight. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there's an intertwining between the three topics and that's why we chose them because we are going to be optimistic and definitely talk about friendship and that intertwine of loneliness and even how friendships have shifted and how people communicate and how they stay in, in touch because I'm always going to bring up social media and cell phones <laughs> and because I am not anti them but I am an engager when I feel like it. Well I think too generationally it's such a different thing because you know as we talked about the 10 years between us right. um, you grew up at the end of a time when there wasn't cell phones and then there were. Um, it was so mysterious. <laughs> like all of a sudden it all happened. All of a sudden. Well, that's why I'm a zenial, because mm-hmm. I'm in between this gap of nothingness and then whole hell of a lot of technology is... Right, all of, all of the information. Um, I know that when I was in undergrad, and I was a little bit older when I was in undergrad, I was in my um, mid-twenties, uh, making friends and, and having those connections was important, uh, but at that point I had a child, so... Uh, my focus and my goals were a little bit different. I'm super grateful for my uh, my girlfriends who helped me with my child, but also um, were part of my social circle in that, you know, if, if I was going out with, with one of them, the other one was watching my daughter mm-hmm. and vice versa. And so that was kind of fun. When did you really notice that your social network got petite? Well, the initial time that it happened was I I had a smaller group in high school and then I went away to college uh, and I was really close with my cousin in Denver and then I came back and I joined an established group of humans Um, and then when I got pregnant with my daughter in 92, I moved and isolated myself. Um, I moved from Albuquerque to Colorado and lived there for a year and had a group of people that I worked with, but um, then it started, it was smaller. Yeah. And the the group that I had become friends with in in 91, 92, they stayed close with me, but 
that group shifted. Um, and so I think it was about seven people. It was really funny because it was like right at the same time that Friends was happening. <laughs> and so we had this group of, you know, people in New Mexico who, though we wouldn't go to a coffee shop and hang out, we would hang out every weekend and, um, you know, kind of move the party around and stuff. Uh, but because I was a, a mom and my other friends were not parents at the time, I think that shifted my friendships. And so it, it put me in a different category. Uh, though everybody was accepting and awesome, I was very alone in that journey. So, and I have just a different Yeah, so tell me about when your groups shifted. You're an introvert, so how did that work? I, well, I've always just had a small tribe of humans, so that I'm very close, like very close, close, tight-knit, and I'm very, always been pretty selective of my tribe of people, (laughs) um, because I got to check you out for a while. Um, I remember my friend Tamara in college, she uh, was in my Spanish class, and I was in the Spanish class, and there was this guy. Hey, there's always a guy. There's um, always a guy. And I was totally digging him, so I was like trying to sit next to him, talk to him, flirt with him, whatever. And she like kept sitting next to me, and I was like, what is with this chick? Was she like cock-blocking she, you or something? She wasn't, though. I was like sandwiched in between, and she's trying to talk to me, and I'm trying to talk to him. And anyway, so I'm kind of like... I would just ask her a question every now and again, but I could just tell she really was grasping at uh, trying to connect with me, but I was yeah. still having to, like, check her out, but I was kind of busy. Yeah. So I could give it full attention, um, and that wasn't, you know, that wasn't my intention. But then one day, I just, like, looked at her, and I was like, what are you doing after class? And she's like, uh, nothing. And I was like, let's go hiking in the Sandias. And she's like, okay. And then we were thick as thieves, and we were roommates, and, like, very good friends, and, like, I have such great memories. Are you still friends now? No, we're not. Like, life changes and moves on, and people grow, and we change, and life evolves, and you just kind of shed different yeah. layers of your life, I guess, and and such. But, so she, so that was a fun, that's a fun friendship-making story, like how to make friends. Sure. That's really challenging in adulthood, and it, it's challenging, I think, at my age right now, because I'm 36, mm-hmm. I don't have children, I don't yeah. have a child. All, a lot of my friends do. The better majority and family members have children and they're all pretty petite and need to nap at a certain time. And I try to go over and still like maintain those connections absolutely because they're so dear to me because these are selected individuals in right. my life that I'm like, okay, I think you're cool. I want to get to know you. Okay, I like you. Right. <laughs> it's a process for me. So it definitely is. So it sounds like you spent, a, like, when you were younger, you had a select group of humans, mm-hmm. you would connect with them. Yeah, now absolutely. that life has changed, um, and certainly people are having babies and Yeah, I had a huge things. thriving, like, social connected network in my mid to later 20s. Mm-hmm. It was huge. I knew everyone, it felt like. I was yeah. being very, like, social introvert, like, yeah. going out, hanging out going to the this, going to the that, making time for this. I was just, I don't know where I found the time, but <laughs> somehow it, it magically appeared just being very highly social and interactive and networking and building this big network. But then there was the shift, and then it's been hard to maintain those relationships. Did like your marriage change that kind of dynamic with friends? How so? What do you mean? Oh, just did being married have an influence on how you connected with your people or if you continued that same drive of being social with your group. I was 
also social with my group when I was married. Yeah, absolutely. Like, my partner wasn't, but I would always go and try to make an effort sure. and, and so on and so forth. Because I, I wanted that social interaction. I wanted those relationships. Those were important to me. Those yeah. weren't important relationships because they weren't his relationships. Right. So, but those were important to me to still continue and maintain. And I think people in relationships need to have efficacy to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, where you do things together, grow together, but then you still hold your value and your independence and the things that interest you and your passions and your hobbies. Because that's why you're initially attracted to each other. Right. Well, ideally, that, that is... Ideally. That's a big part of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I got married at 25 and I had moved to Colorado again. Spent a lot of time back and forth between here and Colorado, but... Um, I, when I met my now ex-husband, um, he was, and is a very solitary individual and, uh, and I was in a new community. So after the kind of first year of us being married, I knew that I had to kind of get out and do stuff because for me as an extrovert, like that's really important. Um, right. That's where you get your energy. 100%. And then I got into school and I formed a community pretty quickly. That's awesome. Because um, I'm a social human. <laughs> but also, he doesn't like, like humans. I don't like humans now. That was 20 years ago. But um, I was very fortunate to be in, in a couple different programs. I was in a biology program and a psychology program. And so both of those had different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. um, one of my really good friends uh, in the biology program uh, was in the middle of a divorce and she had little kids and um, she was really awesome, and so we would spend a lot of time going out um, and studying together. And then another really good friend in the psychology program was actually one of my professors, um, and she and I became really close. And so in that time, I built a community there in Colorado, um, and so that was kind of awesome. I still maintain my friendships here in town, but I had uh, great people to like go dancing with and go listen to music and, you know you know, there was still a certain degree of partying. <laughs> <laughs> you still have a certain degree because you I Snapchat still. sometimes like, or no, you post pictures on some platform that are of you like out dancing at San Diego. San Diego yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you're out and about doing stuff and things. Cause I'm an introvert. I'm yeah. here like painting shelves and, <laughs> and charging my battery and putting things in plastic bags and crafting and, saving my next hike <laughs> right, right. on the app. And that's, yeah, so that's one of the things that I do enjoy doing, and I've, I've kind of always enjoyed it. I did marry an introvert. It definitely changed some things. I think when I got yeah. married, I had an ideal that I would do things with my partner, and my partner wasn't into doing things. Um, so that definitely became a challenge and created some, some loneliness, and then created some other behaviors that probably weren't super healthy, but whatever happened, happened. Right. Um, but I think that the other contributing factor um, was that I I was growing, I was changing, I was, you know, I finished my degree and I, I wanted um, to have different experiences. And so when we moved back to New Mexico, I had reestablished the community that I had here. And then I added more people in different ways at different jobs that I had and, and different things. Um, but there's there was definitely a dichotomy in in the social aspect of my life and then kind of the isolation aspect in terms of being married to an introvert and you know dealing with all of the changes that come with being a young professional trying to 
run a house and be a parent and yeah. all of those things. Um, but I've always had like different groups. And it's, it's interesting because I think for my 40th birthday party, all of my groups came together. Um, and it was funny because they all had really great different stories of me and certainly different perspectives. At that point, I had started uh, my graduate program and I made some really good friends uh, there. And they added another element to, you know, this kind of independent, um, intelligent, fun community. Uh, happy hour has always been a pretty important part of my socializing. <laughs> um, but I definitely struggle with uh, kind of feeling isolated um, and certainly with depression. Yeah, absolutely. I was married to an introvert and I was a little more extroverted at the time and a lot more social. A lot more social, and then I'd have to like crash out and not talk to anybody for an entire weekend and recharge, <laughs> right? and go at it again for the next like three weekends straight. Um, and it, it did change, and there was loneliness in that because I did a lot of things, like you said, you wanted a partner to do things with, and that I had that same shared experience, and we've talked about this before, and it did create a sense of loneliness, and it did deepen my level of introversion yeah so when you asked earlier like did that change i i've sat while you were speaking and really thought about that and when you said certain keywords i was like absolutely so but i like it because i have a, a better balance and definitely like more time to do things that i'm interested in and passionate about and refining myself and rediscovering what i want and that's helping with loneliness yeah so I I and you, you mentioned depression and and being lonely I was depressed towards mm -hmm. the end of my marriage and you know finally made the decision to divorce right and it, and I think it was a lot because there was depression there because before the divorce I went I went to seek counseling you know just like what can I do how can what skills can I use? How can I improve? Like, how can I make this better? How can I just put this all on myself to fix? Right. You know, because in getting divorced, you you know you're going to become lonely. Well, and, and, you know, we've talked about, I think it, it wasn't the case in my marriage. Is my, my ex-husband didn't have a lot of friends or didn't really have much of a community. But I know that he has felt the loneliness because I did have a community. And one of the things that kind of came out um, after we decided to separate um, was that I had friends who really still appreciate uh, who he is and and there's a lot of respect there. Yeah. Right? And so Absolutely. my girlfriends um, in particular had a lot of empathy for him and understanding. But one of the questions he had asked me when, when we had that conversation about separating was, how many of your friends said it, that it's about time? And that was a really hard question because what I had said was all of them. They were all just kind of waiting for it to happen. There was a lot of processing on my end to get to that place. Um, and that we, you know, the, the depression piece, I have had depression uh, forever. Um, I struggled with uh, identity things and um, perfectionism and, uh, you know, body image and just like a lot of, you know, things that have contributed. Um, I don't know, we didn't talk about this before, my dad died when I was 16. Mm -hmm. So I have a high level of grief, like at, in my early adolescence. Yeah. I'm also the oldest of six, so I had to help with my siblings and, and my responsibilities were significant such that I didn't really have time to process my feelings. And so in my early 20s, 
uh, when I'm hanging out with all these great people and doing these things, I'm also really struggling with depression and like yeah. really kind of what the value and purpose of my life is. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell the story often of one of my best friends, who's still my best friend now, um, she and I went to high school together, we were in homeroom together, and uh, there was a, a point when I just laid on the bathroom floor and I just was not going to get up. And, and my daughter was two at the time, and my best friend literally broke down the door and was like, get your ass up, like you can't give up. Yeah. And. Um, she took me out on the weekends and we traveled together and she was present and that really helped me through my depression both identifying uh purpose and value in my life but also choosing to move forward and and make changes um it's very lonely when you think that nobody else understands where your depression comes from right where it's stemming from. I have a good quote here that I found that someone used to describe depression. Okay. I think now I'll go ahead and share that. So this is what depression is. Imagine you spill water on a floor. A normal person would clean up the mess immediately. A depressed person would examine ways of how to clean it, look at the factors of what happens if they were to clean it or not, and feel shame at the fact that they aren't getting up and cleaning it. Then a normal person looks at the depressed person and tells them, what the hell is wrong with you? It's just a spill. Clean it up. The depressed person says, I can't. Can you see how this screws up the depressed person's life so much that they want to end their life? And I think that, I don't know, I saved that quote just because I think it, it really captured what depression is. Like having to go through so many decision-making processes sure. to be able then to do a thing or not right or determine that you're not going to do it it's very impacting and loneliness leads to depression or is it depression leads to loneliness i feel like it's a chicken and the egg situation i think so too i was thinking about this before the podcast and thinking like am i lonely because i'm depressed and isolated or am i depressed because i'm lonely and isolated but then there was a key term when i thought of that which I'm not depressed or lonely right now. I'm like living the best life ever. <laughs> but, so, but drawing on like past experiences and in those feelings, yeah, I don't know. There was that common term, and that's isolation. Mm-hmm. That's common, and I wonder if the isolation happens in the depression and the loneliness, or kind of what the pecking order. What, what are your thoughts? I mean, I feel like it's it's the both end. Um, Clinically, know, what are you experiencing? Clinically, actually, the way that you described depression in that quote really uh kind of for me and and working clinically i recognize that people have anxiety and that leads to depression uh because they are ruminating and they're spending a lot of time in their heads processing things Mm -hmm. and that really is a challenge to then move forward and make changes and so by the time someone comes into therapy and treatment they're at this point of i don't i don't know how to get past this Mm -hmm. and so that's the benefit of doing it but the challenge is uh really working with the client and helping them to then figure out what's going to work best for them right and so when i work with people who are depressed there is a lot of anxiety there is a lot of ruminating and thinking about all the potential options and then being overwhelmed with that feeling right and Mm -hmm. so that definitely leads to the isolation bit where you're just like, I am so in my head right now that I don't want to be out in the world because seeing other people doing 
makes me more depressed because why why can't I be that why can't I get there what's wrong with me and I think that's the 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 part that leads to or contributes so they they work together in tandem the isolation and the depression and the anxieties like oh under current that's constantly moving those thoughts around right right how challenging absolutely um and so I, I recognize when I work with clients to to do a lot of fact checking and even just doing one thing on your list then can lead to doing the next thing and then the next thing and so um when I work with people who are in that place um and even in in my own stuff like working on gratitude and, and validation and connecting is really the best cure uh, because you do get out of yourself and certainly out of your head right. and kind of stop that ruminating thought process. Right, absolutely. Yeah, one of the ways, I I don't know, I think social media can be beneficial for that connection part. There, I said something positive about it. Um, no, but I formed a friendship with somebody. So I met someone in 2017. We had like a fun experience of like going out, getting to know each other, just found each other really interesting and it informed this friendship, but I haven't seen this person in person, been in the same space or room for two years. Wow. Because the way that we've connected and built our friendship, because they're a very isolated person mm -hmm. and I'm introverted, but I'm going out and doing stuff, yeah. you know, is to, is to connect through social media platform to send Snapchat messages. Sure. So we actually have like dialogues completely through Snapchat and it's great. I consider that person a friend. I yeah. turn to them for advice and support, even though we've not shared a meal or room or oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that is one of the benefits of connecting because social media does give you the platform to be able to be, if you're using it in that way, to be genuine and to be present with another person, even right. if they're not in the same space as you. Right. Um, for me, being in the same space is really important because I enjoy this interaction. I enjoy the, the sentient experience of like, you know, sharing a meal and, and having laughs and, and all of those things. Um, though I do have one of my friends from Colorado when I was at school there, uh, he and I have maintained friendship over social media for, I've been gone now for 16 years. Um, that's a long time. Dang, that is a long time. <laughs> it is a long time. And, and we've definitely shared a lot of ups and downs in, in different aspects of our lives, um, which has been really helpful because it does make you feel connected with someone, even if they're not kind of currently present. Um, but the, for me, the, the, the sentient experience of being around another person is a lot more visceral. And I think I get a lot more energy from that. I like that a lot better too. That's definitely my preference. Sure. But just to maintain relationships, sometimes you have to make modifications into the way that you're communicating. And, and that's huge with a partner, but it, in friendships even more so, because like I said, you peel away these layers of your life and your friend groups change because their lives change. You know, they get married, they have children, right. they get a better job opportunity, they move across the country. You know, they choose to go to school in another state. So then you have to figure out, like, is the connection that I'm going to have with this friend to maintain this, is this going to be, are we calling each other? Right. Are we just texting each other? Are we Snapchatting or FaceTiming? Or are we, am I just going to like all their pictures on Instagram and never talk to them again? Right. Except every seven months and then it's just like <laughs> three hours of Lavaria. <laughs> well, but I also think that, like, 
you're absolutely right. For a time after I moved back, I was making connections with people and then they were moving away. And, mm -hmm. and so either they were here part time or um, they were here and then they got a better job opportunity or, or different things. And, and that's definitely changed the dynamic of friendships um, for people that I'm super close to and really value. And that was hard for me because there was a loneliness in that. And a couple of years ago, it was like all of my friends were just like moving away. Like I was having these great intense friendships and we were spending like every weekend together and, you know, sharing meals and all the things. And then all of a sudden that was gone. Yeah, um, hard. It was hard. And it's hard for me because I do really value my tribe, my people. Um, and so when they go away like that, that makes things very difficult to then remain connected um, I'm doing better now at, at reaching out and like making, you know, lady dates Lady dates, <laughs> and asking for, um, time when I, when I feel like I need to see them, especially when I'm feeling isolated or really alone. And certainly in my work, because I have a private practice because I work by myself. Yeah, you do. Um, it, it's really important for me to know that, you know, I have a bike ride scheduled or I have a dinner scheduled or we're going to go to happy hour. Uh, and my girlfriends are really accommodating because they recognize if I've had a really rough week, like going to a really loud, crazy bar is not going to be my thing. Right. Um, but a quiet dinner or, you know, sharing drinks on a patio. And, and they are awesome in terms of, you know, there's a group that, that have been together since middle school and some of them since, you know, before that. And, uh, and I have been friends with different members of them for a while. And so, you know, once every couple months, we get together and it's a wild and crazy time. And yeah. then, you know, we go a couple months again and we have a, a group message. And I have to turn the notifications off because seriously, these women will just memes and all the things and, you know, gifts and I mean, it's hilarious. <laughs> and so if I'm like working and then check back in, it's like, oh my God, you guys are crazy. That's um, hilarious. There's a lot of boob touching for whatever reason. Through the phone? No, but oh. we have memes about it. About <laughs> it. Meme about the boobies. All the boob touching. All the boobs. Um, and then I have another group that, that I went to, to graduate school with and, and we get together in a more quiet kind of way and, you know, we'll have dinner and, and we've got a lot of changes happening even in that friendship. And so, um, in as much as I have these great groups of people, I can go months without talking to them just because I'm so busy. And, and certainly as my practice has gotten busier and more successful, I do spend more and more time by myself. Right, absolutely. Well, that's why you just have to plan ahead and mm -hmm. make that schedule. Like you were saying, if you can just do one thing on your list. Yeah. So I had read these tips on how to be a more productive person because yeah. I tend to sometimes not be because I overanalyze <laughs> it and then I just can't start because right. <laughs> there's just too many steps involved. Absolutely. So I just break down the whole process and that overwhelms me and causes the anxiety and then... It messes with your follow through. And then I have no follow through <laughs> and then I ain't got no follow through. But... Um, so back on track and to the point, so setting lady dates and planning and having a routine or a habit has really helped me to maintain friendships and close connectedness. Um, it's really helped me as well. And, and I've been called like type A. I don't think I'm type A. Okay, You're totally I'm, type A. I'm totally type A. So yeah, I'm a little type A. But the thing about it is, is if I'm not planning or scheduling or reaching out and connecting, then I don't get to do the things that I want to do. 
and I want to go do the things I want to do, and I want to find people who want to go do those same things and have those same similar interests so that I can form these really connected friendships, these right. deep friendships, because that's how I roll, you know, since having a large friendship group and then dwindling down to just very close friends, it's been really important. But I think in maintaining friends, I also found this other comment somebody said, and going back to, if I don't plan it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. So we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied paced modern life. And so when you were talking about how you like that experience, that visceral experience of being on like a quiet patio, those are the things that I enjoy and I feel like I connect most with my friends when I'm in an environment like that. That's like conducive to just connecting. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's important to, to kind of know what gives you energy, right? And right. so that's what we talk about, you know, both clinically and, and certainly when you and I talk about the difference between an extrovert and an introvert, there was a time when I would get a lot of energy from being around a lot of people and, and friends and dancing, and I still do to a degree, but because of the kind of work that I do, I'm so intensely in it with like one person right. that that can be really draining. And so it's better for me now to get energy by being by myself or being with one or two friends. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely see myself shifting to a more introverted lifestyle mm -hmm. and seeking out that solitary, you know, one-on-one -on -one time. Like you and I went camping the other day, uh, a couple yeah, weekends ago, we and we just like made a plan and did it. Right. But we're both doers. And, and so I know that I help you with the follow through and you help me with like doing different things. Right. Um, and that, that definitely balances out our friendship. Absolutely. But it is about planning and you know, you and I are good with a plan. Like if we schedule, you know, a podcast on Wednesdays and that's what we're going to do. If we right. schedule a camping trip and we leave at this time, that's what we're going to do. Absolutely. And so being Absolutely. even emotionally vulnerable with each other has grown pretty quickly yeah. um, because of the way that we communicate and dialogue about different things. Absolutely. Our shared organizational skills. 100%. Our absolute shared organizational skills. So what can people do? I mean, so really what, so we talked chicken egg, we talked isolation, we talked sure. anxiety, depression. So friendships, you know, and how we need all of these things and a balance in the way that we need to receive them based upon how we charge our energy and our balance in our life. Um, and just managing our own personal busy careers and yep. empires that we're building. One hundred percent. Yeah, come to my consignment shop. I'll tell you. <laughs> She's almost done with it, and I, so it's going to be ready soon. It's getting there. Um, but but what did we learn? I mean, like, what are things that we can do? What are some skills that we could maybe discuss or offer here? So the skills that I really like to work with clients on is, um, one, reaching out, right? So when we are isolated, when we are in our depression, when we are in our funk, we are uh, not likely to reach out right. to other people. And so I help clients to identify the people that they can reach out to um, and people that are going to benefit them. Uh, so skills that I like to work with clients on is one, I, I mean, identifying that they are in a depressed state. And so part of it is, um, you know, kind of realizing, oh, my energy is low. I'm isolating more. I haven't really been out with, with clients or with friends. Um, I don't go out with clients. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not 
Thank goodness. Right? You're so ethical. I just am. You are. Uh, but reaching out, right? So making a date and setting plans and, and being more social. What I do notice in, in clients getting better is that when they are doing that consistently, they do start to feel better and they start to feel more connected. Mm-hmm. And so addressing that loneliness. So first be aware that you're depressed and notice what your behaviors are. You're noticing that you are feeling more lonely. You're noticing that you are pulling back from doing things. Um, and so then, so I always work with like awareness first. Uh, what is the asshole in your head telling you? And so if it tells you that you're like a piece of shit and nobody likes you, are there facts in that? Is there data that supports this? Is, right. Is there any evidence that says that? Well, you know, usually clients will say, well, I had this friend and I did the thing and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, well, there, there was a time when you were doing it. Right. Who, who is in your circle now? And so they can start to then identify the people that are still around, the people that are checking in, the people that they spend time with or that they would like to spend more time with. And then the next step is to make a plan, right? right? Schedule some time to hang out with friends. Um, even if you're not feeling super motivated to do it, Right. following through and doing it and so the more right. you do it the better you feel the more you're inclined to do it more right. then that loneliness tends to go away the depression might be a little bit more insidious and, and deeper right. but part of it is what is your brain telling you and when you recognize that your brain is telling you that you're a piece of shit and nobody's really going to like you or everybody's paying attention and you're you know kind of a whatever negative thing changing that to a more balanced narrative so that it's right. a little bit more I do feel this way, and even though I feel this way, these other things are true. Is that like more of a cognitive approach? So there's definitely a cognitive piece to that in terms right. of changing your thoughts and changing what your negative self-talk is. Um, and so then the next piece to that is behavioral aspect. the behavioral aspect. Going out of your house, going and doing it. Exactly. Well, and I think a tip to help with that behavioral aspect is when you feel, don't feel like going out and everybody's like, let's go out and do something. Suggest something that you want to do and be adamant about it. Sure. You know, it's ha- it may be hard because you're in a low place, but be very, okay, this is what I would leave the house for. Yeah. Like, I would be down to do X, Y, Z thing. Let's go shoot guns and throw axes. I'm telling you. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, that, that's, sometimes those things with one or two friends as opposed to let's go to happy hour, let's go dancing, you're not going to be super motivated to do that. But if you are motivated to let's go have coffee or let's go sit on a patio or let's go for a walk on the basket, like those kinds of things are then motivating. And so you're going to make that effort. And that effort's going to be a little bit easier. Right. Right. Absolutely. And connecting with somebody who gets you. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, all of that kind of works together. Um, and you and being vulnerable and being able to identify so that's not so shameful because there's a lot of right. shame in in feeling depressed Absolutely. Um, and then you you're focusing on oh I'm depressed right but when you start to expand that and really go okay wait there are people that love me there are people that are close right. there are people that are willing to spend some time with me even my sad depressed ass yeah, right <laughs> yes and so really kind of following through with that and, and what I notice is that clients do tend to then start to feel a little bit better. Right. Um, it may not go away completely, and, and certainly there's a place for medication. I don't um, recommend medication off the bat. Right. Um, I only recommend it when going out and doing things is still more arduous and difficult than, uh, than being at home. 
and so right. really challenging that um, but I don't recommend it off the bat and so oftentimes what I find is that once clients start getting out more they're getting good sleep they're exercising exercise is a big piece in addressing and combating depression oh absolutely because you're moving your body around you're you're releasing endorphins um, I'm not a gym person, but uh, I love going for a bike ride or, or a walk on the bosque and, and so getting, moving around, getting out in the sun, vitamin D is super important. Yeah. Um, so all of those things kind of work together. Right. And so when you're connecting, obviously, then you're, you're building and, and maintaining friendships. Well, just making one shift in your lifestyle, whether that's, I'm going to go do this, it's a trickle down. Yeah. You start one thing and you feel success in it and you get a little more of those feel good chemicals, some secretions of oxytocin, serotonin, maybe some dopamine, some feel gooders. All the gooders. All the gooders. And you get a little peppy of that. Yeah. You know, and then that leads you to do your next thing on the to-do list and then the next and it should just all fall into place. I mean, it it, it, sometimes it takes more than one run at it, right? So recognizing that, you know, I did that thing and I was really uncomfortable and I felt kind of dumb and, you know, then I did it again and I hung out with a different friend and I had a different experience. And so I think that will definitely work towards helping to alleviate some of those depression symptoms. Mm -hmm. Obviously you're addressing the loneliness by connecting. And like I said, you're building friendships. So I think all of those things help to work towards feeling better well they work in tandem with one another 100 all just it all is just coming together it just can come together yep so that's a thing that's a thing okay so we are almost at the end yeah we are almost at the end of our second podcast (laughs) i have to tell you the cat gets so excited when we have new listeners and people are following us on instagram we want to remind you that we are x the number two T-H-E-X-E-N-N-I-A-L at gmail.com. That's X to the Zennial. You can also find us on Instagram. Um, I'm getting better at posting things on there, but I definitely uh, will continue to do that. You're a tech person for that. I am, I, which is weird because I don't like social media as much as you do, but... <laughs> I don't like it. I mean, you're you're the both end, right? Like, you recognize it's necessity, but yeah. it's not something you want to do all the I time. I like it as the tool. That's fair. It's the tool. So X to the Zennial at Gmail. If you have questions, if you have comments, if you want to talk about things, um, I know that you have written down that at someday we will have a call-in portion to our podcast. Uh, but for right now, we just appreciate you listening. Um, just a reminder that we are only looking for positive feedback. If you don't like us, you don't have to listen to us. If you're going to say shitty things, we will block you. Let's just play nice in the sandbox. Right? Play nice in the sandbox. Let's just all have a good time. So we're contemplating next week's topic, and I definitely want to bring up in next week's topic somehow intertwine this thing I learned about. Okay. It's uh, ilium. Lilium. The li- liminals? Liminals. Okay. I can't even she's say She's saying it. lots of words. I can't even say <laughs> liminals. I can actually describe it to you, though. Okay. <laughs> the title is not important. So somehow incorporating that, because I think that's something interesting that maybe we could talk about. But I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do We'll next have week. to see. I also do want to, uh, in the next couple podcasts, uh, talk about dating and the oh, who, what, when, where, how of that. Uh, as you want to do are, a juicy one? We could do a juicy one. I think we should do a juicy one. I mean, we could certainly do a juicy we one. We can do the unpronounceable word some other time. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, it, we definitely need to, uh, we'll do a little bit more kind of, I did an outline for the next one for dating. For dating? If you're down. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm All very right. excited about Deep in the Sixes, and we'll talk Deep about what that sixes. means. I can't believe we're going to talk about I'm so excited. <laughs> I love my little coin phrases. I, I love your coin phrases, too. All right, All right, so thank you so much for thank listening. Thank you so much. Please give us your feedback. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and we look forward to the next one. Ciao. Have a good week. <laughs>